John chapter 4. And I want you to camp out there. Normally I have you turn to two or three passages. But I want you to just turn to John chapter 4. Here at Bridge Church, we're two things. We're a responsive church. We respond to the Word of God. We respond in worship. We respond to what God is doing in our life. And we're a note-taking church. We take good notes because whatever the Lord is speaking to you, we take seriously. So take what the Lord is speaking to you seriously. Take good notes today. Uh, as you open up your Bibles and turn in your uh, workbooks and notebooks and journals uh, to take notes today, I want you to prepare to receive, but I want you uh, to get ready to welcome some wonderful people, all those who are streaming online, especially our two prisons, Louisville and Maricopa. Can we give a hand for our prisons that are streaming today? Awesome. Uh, we're, we're right at, uh, we're, we're a year old, and we've almost got 400 men saved through our prison ministry, baptized. We're right close to, we're pushing over 200, and guess what? I'm going to be at two prisons uh, next week with our prison ministry, and my goal is to bump it over 400 salvations and over, well, close to 200 baptisms, because we're going to baptize in Louisville, and we're going to baptize at Maricopa, man, and I am excited. So if you're there, get ready to get wet. Because Jesus is going to move in your life. Get your bathing suit. Because it's going to be awesome. And we're so excited uh, for what God is doing in our prison ministry and this wonderful church. Uh, we started a series titled, I Am Significant. Everybody say significant. We started at the beginning of this month. And it means great worth and value. And so my wife actually came up with this series. She said, you ought to preach about significant. It's amazing how the, sometimes the people closest in your life can see your greatest strengths can see you better than you can see you. And she says, I feel like you have something to share. And this series has unlocked something in me. I, I don't know what it is. Have you been, if you've been here the last couple weeks, you know what I'm talking about. Something has happened in this place. And we have experienced, because we scheduled a, a revival for October. <laughs> but we're experiencing, it's funny how we write, we schedule, well, we'll have revival in October, Jesus. Just want to let you know what we're planning. <laughs> And God's like, yeah, sure. And so revival literally has broken out uh, uh, right after Easter. Oh, man, I feel the presence of God in this place. That we have revival breaking out in this place. When we're growing when we shouldn't be growing. We're thriving when we shouldn't be thriving. We're, we're expanding the kingdom of God by force. And we're saying, man, we're going to take territory for the kingdom. And I don't care what the enemy's got to say. And I'm unapologetically going to advance the kingdom of God. And we're feeling that momentum. And we started off by talking about some unknown women in the Bible. We talked about, first, the Shunammite woman. If you're not a church person, you don't know what that is. But if you grew up in church, you know the Shunammite woman. And the Shunammite woman, we talked about how Elisha ministered to her. She made room for the prophet of God. And it changed the significance of her life and, and the future of her life. And not only hers, but ours thousands of years later. And then in the second week on Mother's Day, we talked about a family who lost their daughter. who was 12 years old. She had no name. And a woman who had no name but an issue of blood. And Jesus took care of both of them. And I, my question every week, and it's the same this week, I wonder if you're like them. And you wonder, does he have, anyone even know my name? Does Jesus even know who I am to interrupt my story? Am I valuable enough? Am I worth something? Does anybody, am I making an impact? I bet these people thought they didn't have an impact or significance at all. But now thousands of years later, we're totally changed and transformed by their stories. And today I wanna to read you a story right here in John chapter four, verse four. So chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read a lot of verses, so we're going to go all the way to verse 26. 
And then we're going to skip and go down to verse 39. Are you ready? Here we go. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Now, Sychar uh, meant liar, meant deception. Near the plot of ground, Jacob, uh, plot of ground Jacob had given to his sons Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon, so the hot part of the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Samaritan woman said to her, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. She's speaking of race here. How can you ask for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking a drink for you from you, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everybody say living water. Somebody's going to taste some living water today. He says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. She said, you ain't got no bucket. Turn to your neighbor and say, where's your bucket? You have no bucket. And the well is deep. Where could you get this living water? Are you greater? Now she kind of, she's passive aggressive. Uh, are you greater than Jacob? You, if, if you know someone passive aggressive, just, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <clears throat> Who gave us this well to drink uh, from itself? And did also his sons and a livestock drink from it? Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I will give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then it says this, sir, give me this water so that I won't go thirsty. And I have to keep uh, coming here for water. So she's getting lazy. She's like, I don't have to come back. This is great. <laughs> you can make this easy for me. I don't have to make another trip to the well. Still goes over her head. Go call your husband, he says. She said, I have no husband. He said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. <laughs> Y'all are laughing, but it's serious. And the man you now have is not your husband. So she's on man number six. You have just said, what you have just said is quite true. Or she, uh, another version say, well spoken. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet, a great prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on the mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we wor uh, must worship is in Jerusalem. He said, woman, believe me, a time is coming. And I love this part right here. You will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Uh, you Samaritans who worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now. Everybody say now. This is a powerful passage right here. When real worshipers, when it comes, when real worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Did you know God seeks out worshipers? This isn't the Old Testament. This is Jesus. The New Testament, Jesus is saying, the Bible also says he inhabits the praises of his people. It's powerful. Somebody's going to catch on to real worship today. God is spirits, right? God is not man. God is not a woman. God is spirits. And his worshipers must worship in the spirits and in truth. And she said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. <laughs> she doesn't even know who he's talking to. She said, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Right? <laughs> Still, haircut. Then Jesus said to her, I... The one speaking to you, I am he. And it just like, boom, the light bulb goes off for her, and she disappears. 
The disciples come back, and then this is what happens. This is powerful. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, talking about Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more believers, many more became believers. Then this is the best part. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. See, people will start coming to church because of what God is doing in your life, but they'll keep coming to church because of what he's doing in their life. And you might invite people, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but you might invite people who don't like church or don't want to come back, or they were scared because that crazy little white guy up on stage was yelly. and loud and crazy and they're like oh not my kind of church and, and they might leave hey that's okay he didn't say all of the town he said many even jesus didn't bring the whole town many did so don't get afraid that's why he says they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me and we'll talk more about that in a minute but i want to start back at the beginning like we've been doing each time we read the passage and now we're going to extract great truth so now when you look at this passage i want to talk to you about some serious wounds that rob her of her significance, that rob her of her value. But I want to start off at the very beginning, verse 4. What did he say? I had to, Josh. I had to go through this. He had an assignment. He had a job. He didn't, it wasn't just geographically necessary. He had to go visit this woman. He had to show up. Now, he had an assignment. He knew he was on assignment. He sat down at that well and dusted it off. Acted like he had just showed up, didn't know who was going to be there. And he's acting all chill and relaxed. And he's just waiting because his assignment was about to be her moment of change. And see, Jesus is showing up for somebody today. And you think you may have just shown up to church. You may have just clicked online to view this. And you think it's by chance. You think you just happen to be here today. Let me tell you, God has an assignment that he's showing up for you today. And your moment is right now. He had to show up at the well. He had to show up at Bridge Church. He had to show up at the prison ministry. Because somebody's life needed to see that there's an alternative to the way that you've been living. And so there's a change coming. There's a change about to take place. Something's about to happen for this woman. Something powerful. And Jesus knew that he had a great assignment. Let me just tell you, the devil knows that you've got a heavenly assignment. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy that heavenly assignment over your life. He's going to do, he's got an assignment too. His job, the the Bible talks about the old world order was principalities and rulers and a darkness, right? Before. But see, some of these demons didn't quite get it. So they thought they were still in charge of areas and territories and families. And so when Jesus showed up, in fact, one of the demons that he was about to cast out, he said, oh, don't cast me out from here. He didn't even talk about the person. He said, from here, because this is my territory. Flagstaff belongs to me, is what the enemy says. I'm going to keep you in captivity is my assignment. But when Jesus shows up, the devil's got to go. And I love that because... At the well, he can't win. See, at the real well of our life, the enemy doesn't have a say. The enemy doesn't have an opportunity to discuss anymore, to keep you in a cycle of destruction and devastation and damage and hurt and pain. You get to have deliverance. See, the enemy came to destroy. Jesus came to deliver. 
And I love the assignment that Jesus is on because he didn't just say, he didn't just say, hey, well, let's just see what's happened over here at Sikar. He said, I have to go to the well. There's somebody who needs me. In fact, he sent his disciples away. He said, hey, this ain't no job for a rookie. Y'all need to be gone. What I'm about to do is show you. In fact, when he brings them back, when they come back, he says, I've done all the hard work. All you need to do is reap the harvest. All this town is about to come. I need you to get in line with me, church. Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. All we need to do is reap the harvest. And we need to go ahead and collect the harvest and say, okay, God, I'm going to get in alignment with your assignment. And I'm going to go ahead and agree and I'm going to step into that new calling and that new dimension and that new place that you've called me to. And I love it, man, because when he shows up, he just starts showing her there's a different way of living. But the hard part about that is when you've gone through enough pain, you begin to live and speak in your pain out of your wound. And so this woman who's been wounded is about to passively, aggressively take shots at Jesus because she speaks with her pain. She speaks from her wound. And I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now. You're critical because you grew up being criticized. You're negative because you grew up somebody around you always being the pessimist over your hopes and dreams. And you, don't, you need to be free of that critical spirit. You need to be free of that pessimist. You need to be free of that little prick in your life <laughs> called the devil. And you just need to pull him out and say, we're done. I don't need you anymore. I don't need to speak from my pain anymore. But that's what happens. Uh, you know, I, I didn't take lifeguarding courses, but I did watch some Baywatch. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> what I did learn is a drowning person is a dangerous person. Because <laughs> they'll try to take you down. They'll try to destroy you too. They're going to kill you. They're going to knock you out, throw you a bow. They're going to start flailing and hurting and pulling you down and dragging you down. Let me just talk to some leaders in here. Unless you're willing to take a few punches, you're not ready to help anybody. You're not ready to help anybody. You're going to get black eyes trying to help people. I don't have them physically up here, but I got a lot of black eyes. It's like trying to help somebody who's wounded is trying to help a wounded animal. They're going to bite you too. But you got, look, Jesus is about to get bit, but he's also going to, this, I could teach a whole separate message about witnessing just from this passage, about how to really handle somebody and speak to somebody about witnessing. But how he responds to her, because he knows she's just speaking through pain, that's how, that's how we learn to encounter and react with one another. And he really teaches some powerful lessons, but also how to heal her own wounds. The first wound she says is this, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you even ask this of me? That's a statement of racism. And racism, right now, we need to win the battle, people. We need to, no, 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 somebody's not hearing me. We need to win. I'm tired of hearing it since I was a kid, till I was a teenager, till I was a young adult, till I'm a grown man. When I have kids, when I have grandkids, I'm done battling racism. What we need to do is win. And how we win is how Jesus speaks to us. The degradation that the world has tried to bring. The separation that it's tried to bring. The Bible talks about, I love it, because Jesus, he was already on top of his game. And he responds to her, and he doesn't respond. He doesn't bait, right? He doesn't bite the bait. He doesn't get into a racial debate. He doesn't get into a race argument. He doesn't get into a discussion. He says, I'm the living water. He speaks to the essence. He said, if you'd have known who it is who's asking you, You need to know the essence of who I am. See, it's only through the essence of Jesus that we'll find real peace for all the hatred we see in the world right now. Because he's the prince of peace and he only has true peace. So we need to draw the peace of God from the one who owns the peace. 
That's why he also says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So everywhere you walk, white people, brown people, black people, Asian people, I don't know, I'm just, however it looks, I'm telling you, you don't need to walk into an argument. You don't need to step out into a debate. You don't need to try to fix something. You can't answer every question. Oh, well, well, they start asking you all kinds of, well, I heard that Christians used to, and oh, where where do dinosaurs come from? And then, well, they start, they all go off on these tangents of like, and they're like, well, what about people who died and never heard of Jesus? Look, shut up. Stop trying to answer all of their questions. You're not meant to be the answer. And yet we're always trying to get caught up in like, oh, I, I know enough. Ah, and all it is is your pride that's disabling the discussion. And so you have to be able to let your, let your pride down. You don't have to prove nothing. You just got to speak the peace of who Jesus is in their life. And he says, if you know who Jesus is, if you know who I was. That's why in Revelation it talks about the great speckled bird. Uh, the great speckled bird represents the diversity and, and humanity. And it's beautiful because ma- racism is a man-made thing. Diversity is a God-given gift. Right. And we ought to appreciate our gifts. And so we're, we're and then he says, you're going to, one day you're going to get to heaven and you're all, every tribe, every tongue, everybody's going to sing a new song. And how terrible would that be if the only time we sing with somebody different is when we get to heaven? We will not have an all-white church here. We will not have an all-rich church here. We will not have a one-dimensional church here. We will have a diverse church here. Because we're going to appreciate the gifts. We're going to break down the walls of racism, not by fighting with fire, but by fighting with peace. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are powerful. And they're for the pulling down of arguments. Somebody's going to hear that for the first time. Your weapons are for the pulling down of arguments. How much in our world right now do we need help pulling down the stupid arguments that are happening? And Jesus addresses this, speaks to it, and starts transforming it. And so he starts uh, bringing peace to her. And he starts bringing uh, a little bit of, okay, take it easy. And then she turns around because he touches a wound. And she says, you ain't got no bucket. So it goes right over her head. I'm the living water. And he goes, she goes, you don't have a bucket. He says, I'm the living water. And she says, you don't have a bucket. And then she says, are you even greater than Jacob? So it's a passive-aggressive shot. She's like, you're not better than Jacob. And Jacob gave us this well. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a well. Who are you? You random stranger. And she's like, she's like I brought my bucket. See, a lot of us came to church like this. I, I brought my bucket. I've got a bucket. I came with my bucket. I shine my bucket. I take care of my bucket. I'll go everywhere with my bucket. Nobody touches my bucket. This is my bucket. And she claims she has very, she loves her bucket. And y'all are laughing now, but it's going to be very serious in a moment. But she has this bucket. And she's talking to Jesus, and she starts taking shots at Jesus. Because what the bucket represents when it comes to healing in your life is pacifying your wounds. But what the well represents is satisfying you. See, real satisfaction only comes from him. Just covering and pacifying your wounds for a temporary fix. That's what the bucket represents. And it's dangerous. That's why Jesus turns and says this. You remember this part? He says, everyone who drinks of this will be thirsty again. Pacifying. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them. 
Now you don't, I love this part. You don't only just get to draw from the well. Now you become a well. It'll become a spring of well, welling up to eternal life. That means anytime you need it, 24-7, you can draw from Jesus. You can draw from who he is. And he speaks to this like, hey, look, we got to start getting uh, uh, some separation here. And we got, I'm going to show you an alternative. You've been living at the, at the well with your bucket, holding on to your bucket, needing your bucket, pacifying, covering, hindering your wound, never healing your wound. But I'm telling you, this is only going to continue to leave the wound hurt when this is going to heal the wound eternally. And you've got to be able to say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready to let my bucket go. I'm ready not to live in this anymore. So Jesus says this, and then he's like, and she goes, okay, I want the water. Give me the water so I don't have to come back here ever again and work that much. And so she's, she thinks, again, she doesn't get it, and he says, okay, go get your husband. Now he's going to touch wound number two. He says, go get your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. And you know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't say, how dare you lie to me? How, 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 do you know who I am? I know what you've done. He doesn't say anything. He goes, you're right. It's very true. You've had five husbands. And the one you're with now isn't your husband. And what I love about that, if you know anything about numerology, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Then the seventh man she encounters, which is godly perfection, is Jesus. See, man will destroy, but God can restore. God can redeem. God can bring perfection. And I, I believe it 100% today because I, I think that there's so much damage. There's so much damage. God wants to help deliver. And we need to be able to say, okay, Jesus. Because when she hears this, she says, surely you're a great prophet. I know you're a great man. This, she, he touched the relational damage in her life. You've been lied to. You've been cheated on. You've been You've been abandoned. You've been told by five different men you're not good enough. And now you're on man number six and you feel and you fear that the same thing's gonna happen. And you have worry in your heart. And he's speaking to her heart. And he touches that. Let me just first talk about marriages. Marriages, when it comes to a divorce, she was divorced five times. And let me just tell you, as the body of believers, you are not allowed to pick sides. You can't. It's destructive. Because both sides are hurting. The violator and the violated. Doesn't matter who you agree with. Both sides need Jesus. And he doesn't call out saying it was your fault or their fault. He, just, he, he doesn't speak to her hurt. He speaks to her healing. And he says, okay, let me just talk to you for a little bit. And she knows he's a, a man of God. And so you can't, you can't pick sides. You can't do that. You're going to cause more division and damage and destruction than you think. When churches do that, come on, how many grew up in church? And if somebody got divorced, oh, no. No, get rid of them. Get rid of that side. Get rid of And we chew them and we get rid of them and say, oh, no, because you're, you're unclean. You can't come in here anymore. And this woman who's walking to the well has had five husbands. She's got one on the way. And she's definitely old enough to have kids. She's definitely old enough to have a girlfriend or friends. But she comes to the well without anybody and totally alone and a whole village and a whole town doesn't even spend time with her that's what Jesus that's why Jesus said I've got to show up at the well because she felt forgotten she felt abandoned she felt like I there's no way that anybody can heal me I'm destroyed I'm not now let me just also give you culture back then in Hebrew culture 
You could divorce a woman for burning the dinner. Now look right here, men. Okay? If you're counting, don't count with your fingers, all right? That's a slap for every finger she sees. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but she, you get, there is just foolishness. That's not God. He doesn't say you're messed up, you're out. That's not Jesus. That's not what he's throwing. He, I'm telling you, that's why he didn't go into the blame game. You can't, you can't get in that argument either. Whose fault is it? He said, she said. No, 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 back off. You're both to blame. And you both need healing. And he starts to speak to her. See, this is what happens, though, is in her need, if you leave a need long enough, it becomes a point of desperation. It becomes a point where you're desperate. I'll marry anybody. Man number three. Man number four. Man number five. Okay, I have to have somebody. I can't, I can't go out. I have to have so, something to fill my bucket. Somebody's got to help me. i got to get into another relationship. See, this is, it's dangerous. Desperate people are dangerous because this is where addiction begins. This is where sexual addiction begins. This is where drug addictions begin. This is where alcoholic addiction begins. This is where all those, this is where like you get so desperate because you're so lonely in the middle of the night. You get on the phone and you're calling that booty call because you're lonely and you need to fill your bucket. You need to go, I'm talking to somebody today. You need to fill your bucket. You need to go ahead and hit the liquor store one more time. You need to hint, you need to cover and, 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 and mask and, and just pacify your pain instead of get healing for your pain. And we become this desperate person who just continues to try to pacify instead of satisfy our need. Instead of satisfy what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our life. And Jesus has touched a place in our life. Some of you have been hurt by other people. Not somebody, all of you. Every one of us in here has felt the sting of relational pain. Relational damage. But that need left unattended will become desperation. And it'll become a place of destruction and damage if you're not careful. Because it depends on who you turn to. It depends on what you do with it. Somebody needs to leave the bucket life and turn to the well life. I need to turn to the well life. I need to leave my desperation. I, need, I don't need to turn to that pacification anymore. I need to turn to satisfaction. And I need to allow Jesus to satisfy me. And this relational wound from my father, from my mother, from other people in my life, from all the destruction, all the hurt that I've gone through, it, it, all you're doing, let me just tell you, I'm going to speak to somebody, look at me in my baby blues right up here. I'm telling you right now, what we tend to do is we just either mask our pain. Uh, 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 Pastor Jimmy Evans talks about how we meditate on our pain. You stew about it. Some of us medicate our pain, right? Some of us motivate through our pain. But what you're called to do is let go, face your pain, forgive, and follow Jesus out of your pain. That, that's what you're called to do because you can't sit here in this place anymore. You've got to have your desperation needs to turn into a hunger and a thirst for God. Isn't that what his Bible, his word says? That we ought to hunger and thirst after him? I learned a new phrase, thirsty. Some of y'all, uh, uh, now if you're hearing me, you're like, yeah, he probably needs a glass of water. You know, he's thirsty. But thirsty has a new definition right now, and I'm going to keep it PG, and I'll tell you uh, what, the, what the translation of a dirty word, they're trying to turn thirsty into a dirty word. It just simply means desperate. It means desperate. They become so thirsty, they're desperate. I want to help build a church 
and a body of believers who's so thirsty after God, desperate for the well of God, desperate to receive from Jesus, not to just continue to pacify our wounds, but to satisfy ourselves. And not only just be satisfied, but then become a well. See, some of us are going around trying to take care of our family one bucket at a time. Here, son, you get a little bit. Okay, here, you get a little bit. And we're living this bucket life trying to change the world. And God's like, man, if you'll just change the way you think, and if you'll come over here to the well, you'll become a well that never runs dry. But you have to keep working twice as hard because you're still living with your bucket. Somebody let go of the bow. Come on, Josh. That's what I'm talking about. Woo! Yeah. Man. Hallelujah. Oh. I do need a tissue, though. I, not a handkerchief, but I, I am sweating. I'll go ahead. You know... Oh, Lord. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a simple, it's a simple choice. He, he was showing her, he was showing her how easy it was. He came and, Joe, I'm going to sit kind of on your shoulder. Don't get weird. He came and sat down at the well, and he was showing her how simple. See, we make it so complicated. Some of you are waiting for the five-point steps on how to transform your You need to let go of the bucket. And you need to go ahead and draw, draw from the well. It's as simple as trying to. And I'm going to hit another point here because I think I've got two-thirds of you with me. And I think the other third's going to jump in with me here on this next one. Because what happens is, see, this next point, she, she gets touched in probably the most sensitive wound of her life. And she goes, you're a great man of God. You're a prophet. And whoa, you'd think that was a good compliment. But it's not. I, I, I experience this as a pastor a lot. And so we're out there having fun, and somebody will be like, oh, man, they'll get in a conversation. They'll be like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to tell you. And, <laughs> and they're like, what? Why? I was like, I don't want you to judge me. And, they're, and, and I'm serious. I don't want you to judge me. And they would, oh, what are you, a pimp or a, 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 you know, what do you do? You know, they thought I was like some drug dealer or something. And I was like, no. I said, I'm, I'll say it, but you got, you got a promise. And I make a promise. And I'll say, I'm a pastor. And you know what happens? Oh. <laughs> and 50% are going to do this. It's great talking to you. <laughs> and they'll turn around and walk away. The other 50% are going to be like, oh, yeah. So where does your church stand on, like, money and everybody? And where does your church stand? And where does your, why does it, what do you guys believe in? What is your doctrine? How do you believe? What do you think about Trump? And what do you think? And they'll go into all this craziness. They will. It's two directions. That's what's going to happen. And that's why I don't like telling what I do. But then it helps spark a conversation. I never address the pain. I address their healing. Hear me now. The religious division is causing separation in the body of Christ because we say, we worship right. Our style's better. Oh, oh, well, you came in here today and you're like, well, my pastor at our church doesn't preach like that. Our worship isn't that loud. We don't sing those songs. Uh, I, I, and, and we come in and we, we start saying, we, we start having these preferences because we become religious. And now we have this preference that's become a prejudice that prevents us from his presence. I'm going to say it again for somebody. You have a preference that you think, oh, I, well, he's just not quite old enough for me to take seriously. You know? Uh, oh, he's not, oh, he's not, you know what, uh, they're, they're a little, I just, if they would just sing a hymn or two, I'd, I'd probably get behind them. And we think, we, well, our preference 
has robbed us and we learn how to come into church with a prejudice against the way other people, because we feel we do it right, and then we prevent ourselves from experiencing. That's why we're like, oh, I just didn't feel the worship. No, no, the worship was on point. No, no, I just didn't feel the Spirit of God in His preaching. Oh, no, the preaching is good. I almost lost it right there. Preaching is good. I think the Lord was correcting me right there. The preaching is good. Whatever. Look, I could go into a church where they just read the scripture verbatim and then close the Bible, pray amen, and feel the presence of God in that place because it's not up to my preference that has created a wall and a barrier because what we're teaching ourselves as believers is how to be callous in the presence of God. And we learn how to stiff arm the Holy Spirit. We learn how to, like, oh, no, it's only my way. It's only, oh, I need, no, pastor, I need you to preach like this. No, no, I need you to sing like this. So I'm ruffling some feathers out there right now. Because you know what? we got to break that down. Jesus showed up at this well to say, stop. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's not about how you worship it and the way you worship it. It's it's right here. Where does it come from? And he doesn't even address the heart. I love that. He doesn't even say your heart or your mind. He says the spirit of me within you. And then see a religious person be like, oh, and he says the truth. So that means there's a way. And we try to turn it. No, the truth means this. Him. It means the revelation of who Jesus Christ is in their life. That is the truth. And the Bible says the truth shall set you free. You got to get healing. Somebody's getting deliverance right now just because of the word that you heard right now. Because you've had a, a religious prejudice in your life and you never knew it. You didn't know. You came in here and you thought you were going to be pacified. You thought you were going to be taken care of. And man, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sweating for real. These lights are bright, man. You thought you were going to, oh, you know, if the youth group would just meet, uh, you know, uh, my kids would be better if the youth uh, children's pastor were, oh, of course, you're right. It must be the children's or the youth pastor's fault. They see him one hour a month. It has to be them. That's why your kids are jacked up. (laughs) No, I'm going too far. Lord, forgive me. (laughs) Reel it in. We want want you to, hey, hey, um, I don't like that book that the women are doing. I I don't like the time that they're doing it. I don't like, look, God is showing up to somebody's bucket life who you keep coming to the well at your own convenience and your own timing, and you come and get whatever you need, but God's saying, hey, let me switch it up for you. Stop trying to act like you run the show, like you're in charge of your schedule. If you'll let me be the satisfaction, this is the whole picture, what I've been building up towards for the last two weeks. If you'll let me become the satisfaction of your life, you'll find real significance in your life, and it'll produce a successful life all around you. That's how powerful this is. And half this side is getting me. I'm going to get the rest of you. I'm going to preach this to you guys for a little bit. Because I, I need you to understand how important you are. I need you to under, God needs you to understand how valuable you are. And don't patronize me and look at me like I'm a cute little boy preaching to you. Look at me like you're receiving the word of God of your life. That you're going to square your shoulders back. And you're going to walk out there. And you're going to boldly proclaim the testimony of your life. And change the world. That's what we're called to do. But it starts with satisfaction. It starts with being satisfied instead of being pacified. I told our team, I said, the church better come ready. 
because I, I, I'm fired up. And I, I don't know what God is getting ready to do, but I know he's going to do something great. And I know he's going to transform somebody's life. He said, no, my girl's alone. I've got to go. You guys go get food. I can't go with you. He told disciples, go, you go run the errands. No, I need to be here because she thinks she's been abandoned. She thinks she's been left alone in her abuse and her violation and her hurt. I'm here to tell her she's not forgotten and I haven't forsaken her. And there's an alternative and there's a healing that she can receive in me. And Jesus said, I have to go through. I have to. I have to go to the well. I have to meet her right where she is. You think you came in here by chance. But Jesus had an assignment this morning. And it's your opportunity for a moment in your life for healing. Stop pacifying your wounds. Stop getting Band-Aid solutions and temporary fixes and get your eternal solution. Isn't that what he says? He says it'll be an eternal salvation. (laughs) Eternal healing. That means when you're crying at home, you're all by yourself at 2.30 in the morning, and that same pain comes again, and you're wondering how worthless you are and how terrible and how much you've messed up. And it's only you who sees that little tear coming down your eyes, and you're crying and not to disturb the person next to you, and, and you don't know how to handle the pain, and you don't know what to do. I'm telling you, Jesus is available. At 2.30 in the morning, you could draw from that well. When you're you're fighting hell itself, you can get your healing at the well. You need to understand that you don't have to struggle privately anymore. You've been struggling alone and walking to the well every day. And you're wondering, when am I finally going to find a husband? When am I finally going to get my healing? When is is life finally going to start working for me? When is it going to start going my way? And you keep going back and no one's with you. And you feel abandoned. And Jesus shows up right on time. He shows up right on time. I need to read one more thing and then I'm going to close. Look with me at the end there. Verse 39. Because right after he speaks about true worship, she says, hey, the Messiah is going to come. He'll explain it all, so don't worry about it. You You don't need to get into it. And he says... I am the Messiah. And you know, the last, another time, I read another time when he said, I am, and I heard a whole troop of guards fall down. He says, I am. And I don't think she fell, but I think her bucket fell. I think her pain finally went away. I I think the damage and destruction, I think when he spoke that demonic oppression and assignment that's been over her life, that, re- that pressure that she's felt for so long finally fell. Because we don't hear from her. All of a sudden, she's gone. Somebody say, she's gone. She's gone, and then what happens? All of a sudden, she comes back, or she says this, says this, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's, say it with me, testimony. Her test, right? You've heard it before, became her testimony. 
How could this woman, the same woman who walked to the well alone every day, the same woman who walked to the well by herself, no one had the faith with her. No one had love with her. No one had peace with her. No one, no girlfriends were going with her. She was totally by herself. And the moment that Jesus knocked everything else down in her life, she goes back to the city and she's had six men. So she knows how to talk to a man. And she knows that very thing that the enemy tried to shame her with now has become a point of influence for her. And she comes over and she says, hey, yeah, hey, young men, why don't you come over here? I need you to follow me. And they follow her and a whole town comes out. And the very point of her pain became part of her promise because God turned it around for her. And then it says this. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words... Many more believers or became believers. Then they said, this is my favorite part. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard ourselves. And we know that this is the real savior of the world. See, revival comes from a revelation of your value. No, no, no. Somebody's going to hear. A revival is going to break out around you. A successful life is going to happen all around you because of a revelation of how valuable you really are. And my job as a pastor is to plead and compel with you. Say, please, understand your value. Know how important you are. Know how, know how precious you are in the eyes of God and that he's coming and when he shows up, the devil's gotta go. And the assignment that the enemy's had over you most of your life for your family, some of you for generations, that you've been wondering, man, my family struggled with the same poverty assignment forever. Man, my family's followed the same addiction assignment over our, I've seen it for generations now. God's saying, time to be done. Because at the well, he wins. But it's when you find satisfaction. Remember what I said at the beginning. Satisfaction reveals your significance that produces success. And when it all starts there, am I satisfied? Or am I allowing myself to live the bucket life? Somebody needs to leave the bucket life. Just bucket. Somebody, hashtag bucket, you know? Leave the bucket life, however you want to put it. Leave it behind and start living the well life. Satisfied with Jesus. Satisfied with who he is in your life. Satisfied with the healing that he can only give. The peace that he can only give. The damage that's been done over relationships, he can heal in a moment. Think about how many years it would take just to go through five marriages and working on a sixth. And Jesus heals all of that. One moment at the well. What the enemy has tried to do for you for decades and do against you and destroy you and damage you, Jesus has come to deliver. Jesus has come to deliver somebody today. And now you're going to not only become a, a receive from the well, you're going to become a well. And we're going to go from a body of believers that's living this bucket life of Christianity where we want to change the world one bucket at a time. We're going to go from that to becoming a well for our family, to becoming a well for our society. You've been running dry because of a lot of people around you, not because of them, but because you've been living the bucket life. And when you let go of the bucket life, you're going to stop living so taxed. Because let me tell you, every leader is taxed. Oh, no, hear me. Every leader, and you're called to be a leader, is taxed. You're drawn from. 
You're pu- I know when the church is pulling more from me, I can feel it. I can feel when the church is like meant hungry for the word of God. I'm like, woo, I'm about to preach. Because the word is only as good as the reception. I can have a great word and, and, and everybody's not ready to receive it and it'll fall flat. And it'll seem like it wasn't there. But it's, it's, it's a two-way street. And let me tell you, when we, we, at the end of last year, and I'm going to close. This is my third closing. Uh, at the end of last year, I, we felt a revival take place in worship. All of a sudden, rows of people, not just a couple of people, were raising their hands, crying, worshiping, lifting up, singing out loud, kneeling, coming to the altar, just crazy stuff, really worshiping God. And then at the end of April, something flipped. And it was with the Word. And all of a sudden, the Word went to another level. Partly, I think, because of me. I think, uh, and I'm not saying as a vain or prideful thing. I'm saying that the Lord grew me. Yeah. I think I'm growing. And I, I want every year for you to see me, oh, yeah, he's better this year than he was last year. And that's not a statement of he was terrible. That's a statement of he's just better. And you ought to see that. Better, a greater anointing. Greater favor. You ought to too. And you ought to be ready for another level of reception. Yeah. Say, okay, God, I, I, I want to, I want to go because this is really what the picture is. We're going from this size of receptacle to an entire well. And, and, and now we can really be filled. Think about how great your life would be, how great your ministry would be, how great your future is going to be, how great your family is going to be if you can get so much more in your life. So you don't need to say, God, Lord, help me out. Take less out of my bucket. I'm carrying too much. It's too heavy. You need to say, God, increase my bucket. Make it a well. Make my, don't, make, don't take stuff off my plate. Make my plate bigger. I want to do more. You don't want to, and some of you who are on the latter years of your life, they're, they're about to be greater ministries birthed out of you, greater levels of influence birthed out of you. Don't, don't pray, God, Lord, hey, let me just back off, retire, and just watch. No, no, no. We need you. I need your wisdom. I need your maturity. I need your spiritual influence in this church to say, let's do this together. I've got another level in me. God, expand my plate. Now, don't take more off. Put more on. I want to grow. I want to change the world. I want to change our city. I want to change our state. I want to change. In 10 years, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say it every week I can. We're going to have eight locations, 20,000 people, and be in every prison in the state of Arizona. And we're going to see thousands of people turn their life to God. Because God has never, God has never, ever, ever, from cover to cover, been pleased by safe living and small thinking. That's not your life. That's not your life. I need to pray. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray with you to close this message. And I want you to receive it. And I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody in here to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior here or online. With every head bowed, I want you to begin to pray with me, believers. And I want you to just begin to use your voice. Go ahead and pray. And just begin to seek God. Lord, I'm going to pray. Somebody let's go of their bucket today. I want to be satisfied, not pacified. God, if there's some racial wounds that we're speaking from God heal us God Lord I heal our nation heal our state, heal our land God Lord you're called to help us appreciate, you called us to appreciate diversity and Lord your assignment is to break down those walls and to birth a ministry of reconciliation and it's through the gospel of peace that we're going to do that Lord in Jesus name I want believers every believer in here to be to be praying with me for racial reconciliation. Lord in Jesus name we pray for racial reconciliation in our state and in our nation in our community. God Lord we for, we apologize. We forget God forgive us. God if there's we've done anything wrong. God Lord forgive us. 
God, we want to be people of peace, of, of unity, of appreciating each other's differences. Lord, we thank you, God, Lord, that we're going to share the gospel of peace, the essence of who you are with each other, and that's where we're going to see real healing take place. God, I pray right now, God, Lord, if there's relational damage, and I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now, if there's relational damage and you've been hurt, you've got wounds, it's time to deal with those wounds. You've been waking up and you've had pains in your neck and your back and your jaw and, and you feel like you've just gotten so stiff that you can't deal with it and you think it's a physical thing, but I'm here to tell somebody it's a spiritual thing. It's a relational wound that's happened to you and you need to forgive. And right now, under the presence of the Holy Spirit, I pray that we would forgive and let go and follow Jesus out of our pain, that we'd follow him out of our hurts and into our healing. Lord, I think if it was a father, a mother, an uncle, a spouse, a child who spoke a hateful word, whatever it is, God, Lord, I, I pray you'd heal our hearts, heal our souls. And Lord, I pray if there's any religious division in this, in this house, be gone. As the authority over this house, Lord, I speak in the name of Jesus, there will not be religious division here. We cast it out in the name of Jesus. It's a religious spirit that does not belong. And you, ha you don't have power here. You're not a principality over this house. You're not in charge anymore. Jesus is here. And in fact, you don't have charge over our city. And you don't have charge over northern Arizona. You don't have charge over this state. And I pray in the name of Jesus that every church preaching the name of Jesus would, th would thrive and flourish and grow. Because as the water uh, rises, everybody rises. And Lord, I pray that the watermarks would rise. They would rise in this state. They would rise in our lives. They would rise in this city. And Lord, we would see a revival. Not a revival of how we do church but a revival of real worshipers rising up. A revival of worshipers that know how to not just clap, but know how to stand in the presence of God. That know how to stand for the things of God. That know how to seek God, because that's who the Father seeks, is those who seek Him. And Lord, we worship You in spirit and in truth, and we receive the revelation, Lord, of our significance and our value and who we are, and we pray for a significant success in our life. God, Lord, that it would be tremendous, that a revival would break out. Come on, somebody believe that revival would break out in our city, revival would break out in our state, and we'd see thousands come to Jesus. We'd start seeing them by the multitudes come to Jesus. And Lord, we'd see many call upon the name of Jesus and see their salvation, see their significance. Lord, in Jesus' name, and find their satisfaction in you. And Lord, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life, here or online, you could be sitting in that prison cell, you could be in your car, you could be right here, you could be at your home. If you want to give your life to the Lord, I want you to raise your hand right now. Thank you for the hands going up in this building. Thank you for the hands going up online. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord sees it. Lord sees it. With every hand raised and heart that's open, we're going to pray with you because you're not alone anymore. You're not going to that well alone. Now you've got a family. You've got a whole village with you. You've got a whole town with you. And if we're going to pray this prayer together because the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's when salvation comes. So I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus 
I receive you now as my Lord, as my Savior, as my Heavenly Father. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I'm forever yours. And I am saved. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Let's give God some praise, Bridge.